You know, for some reason, the older we get, the harder it is to make new friends. Like, for example, do you remember growing up and, um, you know, as an elementary kid and you, a new neighborhood kid comes, comes into the neighborhood and you go up to that kid and you're like, do you want to be friends? And then what happened? You were friends. And then what did you do? You played. And you did all that stuff together. And you ran around the neighborhood and you stayed out till the streetlights came on. And then you went home. But now, what would happen if you went to your neighbor who you don't really know and you're like, hey, do you want to be friends? Or going to a coworker that you just see every now and again in the break room, hey, do you want to be friends? They would think something's a little suspicious. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, if someone comes to me, hey, do you want to be friends? I'm like, I don't know. Who are you? You know, can I get a background check? But the reason it's harder, I think, <laughs> is it, the reason it's harder to build relationships is, is um, as we get older is because we get cynical, we get, we, get, we get tainted, we get jaded, all these things. Um, so, so, so relationships are so important. And, um, and in, in your programs, there's a flyer there, and it says healthy relationships. And you can just pull that out. And then on the, on the back of it, it has uh, the, the next, this is the, you know, the series that we've been through. If you miss any of the messages or you're like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, whatever it is, you can listen to it. And then you could always share it on social media. If you listen, watch it on Facebook, just share it. And then other people can watch it as, as well. But um, this is what's coming up. This is actually a good invite. Like if you go to lunch. And, um, and, and a, good, a good thing to do is, like, you know, when the server comes, say, hey, you know, you know we're, we're going to pray for our meal when the food comes, but is there anything we could be praying for you? Uh, it's non-threatening. It's, uh, it's, it's a way to kind of open up those spiritual conversations and just see what happens. Then you can even leave that as a flyer, you know, as an invitation with a big tip. Don't be getting, like, skimpy on the tip. A big tip as a, you know, just, and that's just one way, but you can invite your coworkers, your friends to this series on relationships because who doesn't need to hear about relationships? In fact, that's why we're doing this. Uh, six weeks ago, we took a survey, and the survey said that, 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 that our church here, main concern, main issue, the thing that our church wants to hear about is relationships. So we're looking at all different types of relationships. Today, we're looking at relationships with friends and with coworkers. Friends and co-workers. And, uh, and the foundation for this is Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1.26 said God created humankind, human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Everything up until this point was created according to their kinds. But there's something unique about being created in the image of God. There's a relational aspect to that. The fact that God is relational, we have the ability to be relational. No other thing, person in all creation has the ability to connect with God like human beings. There's something special and unique about that. And so because of that, because God has created us to be relational, he's created us for relationship for him and with others. And that's our goal throughout this series is to learn how to do relationships better because that is what we're created to do. And when talking about relationships, it's always good to go and see what Jesus has to say on the matter. He's a pretty good person to go to, right? That's when you say, uh-huh. Yeah. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. All that stuff. So, so Mark chapter 12. This is called the greatest commandment. And in Mark chapter 12, we have a wonderful account 
of somebody asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? So here we go, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandments greater than these. So what we have here is we have this, 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 uh, uh, this theologian, this, this teacher asking Jesus, what is the greatest of all the Ten Commandments? Or what's the greatest of all the commandments? You have Ten Commandments, but you also had, if, if a strict Jew had 613 Old Testament laws. So a strict Jew had to follow 613 Old Testament laws. That's crazy. I mean, that is a lot. So this man rightfully asked the question, which one's the most important? Because there's a lot to follow. And Jesus summed it up in just two. All of the laws and all of the prophets summed up in just two of them. And it says, he says, love God and love others. Love God and love your neighbors. Later on, Jesus goes on to explain who our neighbor is. Because we got love God, we understand that, we're to love God. But who is our neighbor? Jesus goes to tell this wonderful parable in, uh, in Mark 10, and he tells this parable of the Good Samaritan, and, uh, in, in, in Luke 10, rather. And the Good Samaritan is the story that, here's the, the story in a nutshell. This, this Jewish man is walking down this road that is known to have bandits and robbers and people that's going to rob you and leave you for dead. Well, he went down this road for whatever reason, and that's exactly what happened. He got robbed, he got beat up, and he was left for dead. Then two religious people come. So myself and Ashley. (laughs) And we're like, ah, sorry, uh, we got to talk about music and worship stuff. We don't got time to help. That type of person. So, this person's dying. The religious people go walk right by them. How dare they, right? We would never do that. I mean, I don't know. But then the Samaritan. Now, Jews and Samaritans were like sworn enemies. Like, they didn't get together. Like, it's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. They didn't talk. They didn't like each other. It was, it was keep your distance. But the Samaritan comes, picks up this Jewish man. Goes to an inn and says, hey, help him out. Here's some money. I'll come back. Whatever other bills he has, I'll take care of it. Jesus then goes back in, in this parable, as everyone's listening to him, tell this story. And he says, who, you know, who, who, who was the neighbor? And, 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 and they said, well, well the, the neighbor was the one that helped the person in need, meaning the Samaritan, they didn't want to say the Samaritan, the one who helped the person in need. The point of the story of the Good Samaritan is that our neighbor is anybody in need. Whether we agree with them or not, whether we're on the same page with things in terms of faith or not, our neighbor is people who are in need. So guess what? Everyone is our neighbor. We're to love everyone. Love God and love our neighbor. And so 
The principle is, because we love God, our natural response is to love others, to love our neighbor. And so, let's look at this greatest commandment, to love God. We, we did that a few weeks ago. Now, let's look at loving our neighbors. And in our context this, this morning, we're going to look at loving our neighbors in terms of first our friends, and then secondly our coworkers. So let's talk about friends. I like friends. I like having friends. I like talking to people. Friends are good. And, um, and whenever I think of friends, I always think of taking pictures. Because when you're out with your friends it's, and your kids and all that stuff, you take thousands of pictures. And then not only do you take pictures, but you take selfies. Everyone know what a selfie is? Good. So um, a selfie is where you get a, your camera and you reverse it and you kind of do one of these things like this. And you go. And then you're like, shaka. But what you do Whoa, whoa, whoa. Thieves, back off. Millions of dollars are all up in here right about now. Notice my wife took all the credit cards. <laughs> so, so, I mean, everything's her anyways. ways. You know, I was like, yes, dear. So, so we take these pictures, right? But if I was taking a selfie with a friend, I would take like 10 selfies. You want to know why? I want to get the best picture. So in the picture that we just took, it was pretty good. But I noticed something. My receding hairline was like shiny a little bit. I don't like that. I'm going to put a filter on that. And then with my smile, my teeth weren't as white as I want. I'm going to put a filter on that. And then, and then my, my smile, I had a little wrinkle right here. I don't know if you guys notice it. I notice these things. I'm going to put another filter on that. Then, then I'm going to post it. And everyone's going to be like, man, that pastor, he looks good. <laughs> then they're going to come to church and be like, you don't look that good. <laughs> How many of us do that same thing? We'll take a picture. We'll put all these filters on. We're like, wait, 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 hold on. Let me get my good side. What does that mean? What is a person's good side when it terms to taking a picture? I don't know. But we put these filters on because we want people to see the best of us. We don't want anybody to see our imperfections. We don't want anybody to see our shortcomings. So we put these filters on. Now, if it's not social media, we do the same thing in social settings. We go to a party. Hey, how is everything? Oh, the Lord has blessed me. The Lord is good. And then, like, you just got laid off at work. <laughs> like, let's be real about things. But we do that in all sorts of social settings. We put these masks on. And we try to pretend everything is all right. And when we do that, we're not getting real and authentic with our friends. We're not getting real and authentic with what really is going on. But when we talk about selfies and, 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 and pictures and social media, here's what's going on. One of, uh, the reality is that, that, that one of the unspoken components of social media is that we post an image of who we want to portray to the world. We post what we want the world to see of us. And so all those imperfections we want to hide we just post what we want to portray to the world. And we're in charge of our image. And what's inherent, inherent behind the selfie is a deep desire to be accepted and to be valued. But what's fascinating, when we look at the Bible, the Bible presents a counter-narrative to the selfie or to the filters or to the facade that we put on, whatever connects with you. The Bible presents this, this counter narrative. And here's what I mean. Let's look at the people Jesus chose to be his disciples. He didn't choose the studs of the day. 
He didn't choose the elite of the elite of the elite. He didn't choose the people who had all the power in the world. He chose people who are thieves, tax collectors. He chose fishermen. And he says, you are worthy to follow me. Everyone else in that culture says, no, you're not worthy to follow me. But Jesus says, no, you are worthy. Why? Because they're created in the image of God, and Jesus was speaking value into them. If we have this mindset that, 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 that God values us because we are his creation, that starts to change how we think about friends. That starts to change how we think about relationships and, 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 and how we view things. So Jesus embodied, Jesus embodied this counter-narrative. He saw value in everyone regardless of status, gender, or nationality. And in this process, he called people into a new community, a new family, new friendships where we could learn from one another, encourage one another, and love one another. Jesus brought friendship to a whole different level. Now, we can't talk about friendships without talking about the show Friends. <laughs> the show Friends is perhaps the greatest show about friends in the history of shows. I don't know if that's true or not. I just thought of it. It just came to my mind. But it's an amazing show. Started in 1994. Do you know what you and I were doing in 1994? Being born. Being born. <laughs> I love it. Being born. <laughs> Who else? What else were you doing in 1994? Let's open this up for discussion now. Thanks, Natalie. <laughs> Who wasn't born yet? <laughs> so 1994, if you weren't being born, we were signing up for email. 1994, friend starts. 2004, Friends is off the air, and there was mourning across the land. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what? You want to know what we're doing in 2004? Well, turning 10. Um, <laughs> um, but everybody else, we were signing up for Facebook. So we have this 10-year gap here from 94 to 2004, and where we're... we're Technology was not like it is today. However, Friends still has 16 million viewers every single week. And that's not including Netflix. In fact, it's reported that Netflix paid $118 million for the rights to stream Friends. $118 million. I wish they'd be like, Let's give Common Key Christian Church $118 million. We could do a lot of good for that, I'm telling you. But why? Because they saw something in that show Friends that was connecting with millennials, with Gen Xers, and baby boomers. There was something inherent about this show that is still popular to this day, that is still watched. Many of us have watched the entire season from from beginning to end, multiple times. But what is it about this show? That's what people wanted to know. So, so, so they asked the co-creator about this very, very phenomenon. What is it about friends? And here's what the co-creator says, uh, Marta Kaufman. She says, part of the appeal is wish fulfillment. Because they're on social media all the time, I believe they crave human contact. They crave intimacy and intimate relationships. 
Here we have a passage that could pretty much come from the words of Jesus that we crave human relationships and intimacy. This is pop culture saying how we're designed and why Friends is so popular. It's amazing how when we look at the world around us, we see how amazing and how big God is. But the point here is that, is that even in the show Friends, why it's so popular is because there was a real, true, authentic friendships among the six friends. And we desire that. And we want that. Why? Because we're created for that type of relationship. We're created for that type of intimacy. Because everyone craves intimacy and connection. Everyone wants to be known and to know others. And this type of community, this type of friendship, this deep friendship only comes through healthy community. And in fact, I would say that um, community and healthy friendships are essential to the Christian life. As we look at the new community that Jesus started, Jesus died and then he rose again and then you have this emergence of the Christian church just thriving. They'd have what's called these love feasts, these agape feasts. And early on things were going amazing. Like it was, it was great. The Apostle Paul had to, had to correct them later on. But, but when things were going really well, what would happen was this. You would have everyone gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper. To celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So they call them these love feasts. It would be a full-on potluck type stuff. They would be bringing their best food all around the area and they would come. The poor, the rich. The people who had shady backgrounds, the people who maybe have been stolen from people, whatever it is, all sorts of different backgrounds would come. So you would have rich and poor sitting next to each other. You would have a, a, a prostitute and a tax collector sitting next to each other. You would have a religious leader and somebody else sitting next to each other. And all of a sudden, a new community is forming, a community where people are loved and accepted, a community that's based on the fact that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ because of what Jesus has done. Now, to put this in context, every historian that talks about the ancient Near Eastern world, the world we're talking about there, says this, that you just did not eat with anybody. Like if you're having people come to your house for dinner and, and they were thieves, what you would be saying is, I agree with them that they're thieves and what they're doing is okay. So, you want to minister to somebody, right? You want to bring them over for dinner because you are agreeing with what they're doing. But now Jesus changes everything. Everybody is coming with all these different backgrounds, all these different areas. And all of a sudden now, there's no, the status thing that was there is slowly going away and friendships are building. Friendships are starting. People are being real. People are being authentic. People are developing a relationship with others that they never would have had prior to what Jesus has done. So we have this new community with new friendships, new people being, being brought together to celebrate what Jesus has done for them. This great act of forgiveness on the cross and the celebration that doesn't matter who you are, we're all forgiven. And it doesn't matter what status you are, because status was huge in that culture. Jesus says it doesn't matter. We're all in the same status. We're all sinners. And people were bonding together, and the early church was booming. 
So following the way of Jesus changed everything. This was a community that not only embraced Jews, but every nationality, every status, and embraced men and women. Women were highly valued in the Jesus movement, even giving places of leadership. It was a community that truly became family, where friendships truly developed into something deep that they never had before. There was trust. There was vulnerability, there was openness, there was authenticity. They shared everything that they had, and they enjoyed being together. And it was this new sense of friendship, this new sense of family that caused the rapid growth of the movement. And so, with all this going on, one commentator says this. He says, within their own limits, they had solved the social problem which baffled Rome. They had lifted women to their rightful place, restored the dignity of labor, and abolished beggary. They were able to do this because they believed Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the act that unified all of humanity. And, uh, and let's go back to filters. Healthy friendships look past this selfie image. Healthy friendships look past these filters that we put on our lives, these masks that we put on. And, uh, and, and, and what happens is that when we take these filters off, these masks off, there's, it's scary because it leaves us vulnerable and we can't hide behind them. It leaves us vulnerable and we can't hide behind them when we take off these masks, when we take off the filters but here is the beauty of friendship of community. Here is the beauty of friendship within community. You have imperfect people coming together unfiltered. And because of their vulnerability, they leave stronger and more connected to Christ and one another. Healthy communities, healthy friendships fill emptiness and voids that linger deep in our souls. Healthy friendships point us to Jesus. And so the question is, is how do we have these healthy relationships? How do we have healthy friendships? I want to share with you four thoughts I have. These are not exhaustive thoughts at all. They're just four thoughts that I think can be helpful in us developing healthy friendships, healthy community. Number one, look at the people around you and see if you already have the potential for healthy friendships for healthy communities. Maybe there's someone right next to you that's sitting next to a church every single week, and, and that's somebody right there. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's your neighbor. But maybe you have the potential for a healthy, godly friendship, healthy, godly community to start right there. Maybe it's in your Ohana group, and it's, it's something where maybe, maybe we need to be more intentional in a particular area. Number two, consider seeing a professional Christian counselor. I say this every week pretty much because sometimes it's hard for us to have healthy relationships because we have so much baggage in our own lives. So one of the first things to do maybe is to work on our own selves. Number three, give yourself permission to be vulnerable. And that is difficult. And that is challenging. But here's what happens. When we give ourselves permission to be vulnerable, it gives other people freedom to be vulnerable as well. Because it's like this. Oh, I'm not the only one who's messed up? 
You'd laugh because it's true. And then we could share about how messed up we are. But that how, like I said last week, we're like the clay in the hands of the great potter. The, the Lord is the potter. We are the clay. He's working and molding our lives. And let's do this together and let's join together. So let's find friends who are godly who will help point us to Jesus. Now, we can talk so much more about friends, but, but we've got to talk about the other side of things. Love our neighbors. Our coworkers are our neighbors as well. How many of you wish, let me ask you this, how many of you have a co-worker you don't particularly like? Okay. How many of you just didn't want to raise your hand? Uh, interesting. More hands went up. Uh, huh. Okay. How many of you wish that same co-worker would call in sick for work tomorrow? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, we all have that co-worker in our life. I mean, not me, but everybody else. <laughs> just saying, I'm just saying, that's what people do. So when we talk about co-workers, I mean, co-workers are great and they're a pain at the same time. When I first started working at Hope International University as a campus pastor, uh, there was this one particular vice president. So I started working there, and this vice president, I felt, was encroaching on my territory. This is my area. This vice president's area was over there, like doing that stuff. This was my stuff, student affairs stuff and all of that. But I felt this vice president was like giving me suggestions on what would be a good idea. Slash, that's not really a suggestion. You're telling me to do this. And I didn't like this. And other things went on. So I, w I was on the, the way home, I called my, my buddy, I said, hey, I said, let me tell you about this vice president, told him everything and all the details, and he goes like this, and this is a guy, you know, mi you know military vet and all that stuff, uh, and, um, and he, I can't tell you what he does now, but he, he, he's like, brilliant advice. He goes, yep, it's one of them in every single organization. That's it? That's all you got for me? Like, it's true. There's always that one person or two people or three people that just annoy us. That's true. But I didn't want to just leave it at the status quo. Because lots of times what happens with coworkers is we leave it at the status quo. We're like, I don't like them, whatever. We'll just pretend to be friends, right? That's awkward and not real. So I wanted to take the high road for once. I usually like to tell you the stories of, like, when I didn't do things right because they're funnier, but I'm going to tell you a story of when I got it right at least once. So um, <laughs> I got it wrong more than right, but this one I got right. So I want to take the high road. So instead of getting together with all the other directors and talking bad things about this vice president, which was very easy to do, I... I said, I'm not going to do that. So I didn't participate in that. And then I, I made a conscious decision to say, all right, um, let me encourage this person. So every chance I got, I would just try to encourage this person and try to build this relationship as much as it pained me to do so. Um, and then slowly but surely, um, things started getting better. So much better the last two years that I was at Hope that this relationship started getting really well where we would partner together with big events. And she had a big budget. 
which just helped the event, if you know what I mean. And it, I didn't do it for the big budget that she had. It just kind of, that was like a bonus. Um, but it worked out really well. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's kind of funny when you like actually live for Jesus. Sometimes it works out all right, you know. Um, and, and, and I wish every relationship would work out that well when you have conflict, you know. But, but when we are intentional and God is in it, it's amazing what God can do if we allow him to do the work. So, so um so with that, I mean, we have, uh, we have coworkers, and I wish sometimes when we had conflict with coworkers that we could always work it out, but sometimes, you know, it is what it is, but somebody has to be the one to take that first step, and maybe that's speaking to you where you need to take that step tomorrow or the next week and say, you know what, I'm sorry. Find common ground with people. Find what that, what that commonality is. Because it's no fun putting on a facade, putting on this, this, this fake face, like everything's all right. No, talk about it. Talk through it in a caring and gentle way. But sometimes we just find common ground with people, that, and that solves so many different things. If they like food, go get lunch with them. Whatever. So, so, so three, three thoughts about healthy, healthy relations with your coworkers. Here's three thoughts to have healthy relations with your coworker. Number one, be a hard worker. If you are a hard worker, and usually the harder one works, usually the more res- respect they gain. But do not work so hard in such a way where you get all the glory and praise and you're making other people look bad. Be a hard worker where you celebrate other people around you where you don't make them look bad. Number two, pray for your coworkers, even the ones you don't like. Now, this is probably the most challenging one. Have you ever prayed for someone you don't like? Think about one person right now you don't like. Just try it. And think about how hard it would be to pray a blessing upon them, to pray that God would would, would enrich their lives, to pray that God would enrich their marriage, to pray that God would enrich their, their friendships, that God would have, you know, amazing things in their lives. How hard would that be? I'm not lying. It's difficult. It's difficult for me. But if we're serious about what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has said, that we're to forgive our enemies, forgive those who have hurt us, it's right there in our workplace. Who do we need to forgive? To say, you know, to, 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 to let that barrier out of the way. But let's, let's, let's forgive those who have hurt us. But let's pray for people. Let's pray for those we don't like. Let's pray for the top executives. Let's pray for wisdom. And let's make prayer a constant companion at work. Third, build trust with your coworkers. So after praying for your coworkers and, and, and your work, start building this solid relationship with your coworkers. Start, you know, as you do team projects together. Do and be the best team uh, project coordinator person you could be, right? Do the best you could be at working together as a team. And then give the praise out to other people. Give the glory out to other people. You know, sometimes we want to get all the glory for ourselves and say, hey, I did everything. But what we've got to do is say, no, they are instrumental. She was instrumental. That person is instrumental. And what that does is that lifts up and values uh, those coworkers around us, and you're building trust with them. And through all these different methods, what you're doing is you're building relationships. And then as we build these relationships, things are going to start happening, happening naturally. 
conversations of faith may come up. Conversations of pain and hurt and things they'll invite you into because they trust you and they care and they know you care for them. So be a team player and value the other members of the work team. We're to love God and we're to love our neighbors. Love God and love our neighbors. And it's easier said than done. But Jesus calls us to something more. As the band comes, what I want to do is I want to just close by reading seven scriptures that talk about relationships with, with, with friends and family and coworkers, all sorts of different things. And, and I just want you to, you know, you could close your eyes on these and you could just kind of reflect on these passages. And um, if you could write them down if you want, but just let these verses speak to you. And, um, and you can always go back online um, and, and get the verses too if you've missed any of them. Luke 6.31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Proverbs 13.20, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 18.24, one who has had unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Colossians 3.12-14, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Mark 12, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's be men and women who love God and love others. Amen.